I want to see who can age themselves here. Anybody? Can you age yourself here? Who here remembers, I think it was the 90s, the No Fear brand shirts? Raise your hand if you remember the No Fear brand shirts. All right. Raise your hand now if you owned a No Fear brand shirt. Hang on, hang on, look around. Right, hang, raise your hand. Okay, so there's only a, only a handful. All right. Well, it was huge in the 90s. I had a few of them. One of mine, the saying was pretty foolish. It said, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. That was pretty, pretty foolish shirt. I don't want to live on the edge. Uh, my, my, a great friend of mine in high school, he, was, he graduated a year before me, he had a shirt that I, we all thought was awesome and hilarious at that age, and my parents would never let me get it, and I was just like, why? Um, but then now I have kids, and I would never let them get it. But it said, here, hold my trophy while I kiss your girlfriend. Again, I've matured. I would never purchase that shirt now. But in, you know, early teens, you're kind of like, oh, yeah, dude, cool shirt. But then it said, no fear. It was a big slogan. Well, fear is an emotion that protects us from threats in our surroundings. It has evolved to become more complex with our fears extending toward the weird or just plain absurd. There are certain fears that the great majority of human beings share. You want to know what they are? You don't? Well, I'm going to tell you anyway. Here's a list of the 10, 10 of the human fears that every member of society deals with at some point throughout their lives. You ready? Number 10, losing your freedom. It's number 10. Number nine is fear of the unknown. Number eight is the fear of pain. If you've ever had pain in your body, you know that's not fun. Number seven is fear of disappointment. Six is a fear of misery. Five is the fear of loneliness. Four is ridicule. Now, the top three human fears that every member of society deals, deals with some point in your life. Number three is fear of rejection. Number two is the fear of death. And number one is the fear of failure. So today I want to talk for a little bit on this subject of no fear. And that right there is the logo. That was actually on the shirt. I just figured I'd be nostalgic for the 15 of you that had no fear shirts. For the rest of you, just know that that was the cool logo of the 1990s. Many of these fears are tied together, such as death and the unknown, rejection and ridicule, pain and misery, 
and failure and loneliness. We can also observe that these are mostly not fears of specific things, but specific things also do cause fear in people. Maybe some of you are quiet and looking at that because it hits close to home. Well, I'll make it a little more lighthearted now because I read a Gallup poll that answers the question, what scares Americans most? Those are kind of bigger, abstract things. You want to hear the specifics? Let's look at this. I want to have fun, though. I want us to get us engaged. Even if you're watching online, just jump in and say, I agree, or I'm scared of that, or I'm not. Number one, just raise your hand with me, okay, if you are afraid of this. If not, keep your hand down. Um, some of you are already raising your hand, and you're just afraid of someone asking you in a public setting a question. Um, number one, fear of snakes. Anyone afraid of snakes? Keep your hand up. Take a look around. Let's see. This is good for the soul. Confession. We're just working through this. All right. Fear of snakes. I'd say, what would you guys say? You got the hands up? Would you say about half of the audience, maybe? If your hand up, maybe, maybe not. I'm not a huge fan of snakes. God put enmity between the snake and the woman, but I got it too. And so, how many of you, number two, are afraid of public speaking? Raise your hand up. All right, we're going to help somebody out right now. <laughs> the hands went down so fast. I'm kidding. Raise your hand up if you're afraid of public speaking. If you're online, say yes, I'm afraid of public speaking. All right. Wow, so that's probably more. Hang on, raise it up again. That might be more than snakes. Huh. How many of you are afraid of heights? <laughs> like... Okay, so how high is high? That's what I kind of want to know. Six feet, okay. So, no, so no, uh, no shoulder, you know, we can't pick you up on our shoulder. Okay, so that's too high. All right, that's a good point of reference. All right. How many of you are afraid of being closed in a small space? So that went down. I feel like that's one of the lower ones. No MRIs for you. It feels weird. I had an MRI, and I went into the machine. It's, it's small, but then they gave me the headphones and let me choose my Christian music, and I'm, I have a horrible habit, I guess, that when I fall asleep, I kind of twitch, and so I dozed off in the MRI, and they woke up, and they were mad at me because they had to start the thing over because I guess I dozed off, and my body was twitching. And <sighs> How many of you have a fear, number five, of spiders? Right. <laughs> okay. So maybe, but if you're a fear of spiders, are you willing to get close to see if they're alive or dead? Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> How many of you are fear, uh, afraid of needles and shots? I'm just, I'm just very, very thankful. I'm looking at healthcare individuals right now, and none of them raise their hands. So I'm like, oh, thank God. <laughs> if you did, I'm sorry, but don't take my blood. <laughs> we both can't be afraid. How many of you are, are fe afraid of mice? Right. So that's, that's definitely the lowest one. All right. So if we have a mouse problem in the church, I know who to call. Pretty much any of you other than like six of you that raised your hand. How many of you are afraid of flying on an airplane? 
So we're getting less as time goes on. All right. Okay. How about dogs? I guess it depends on maybe the breed or the size, maybe, possibly. Thunder and lightning. Anyone afraid of thunder and lightning? Okay. How about going to the doctor? And is anyone afraid of the dark? Okay, couple. <laughs> All right. So like when your, parent, when your kids come, like, I'm afraid of the dark, you'll be like, I am too. Let's, let's hang out together. <laughs> so this is obviously a much more concrete list. I can identify with the part about the snakes, but honestly, I don't think I'm really afraid of anything else on the list. Um, and the snakes, too, it makes me jump. I was mowing my yard earlier this year, and I looked and saw something moving. I was like, oh, my goodness, I think that's a snake. And I looked over here, and then I looked back over here, and it was still going. <laughs> it was about four feet long. And I looked, and then it was a black snake, and I was like, okay, those are the good ones, I guess. But I'm just going to stay on my mower just in case. <laughs> and so uh, I guess you might have a dog on your list if you were bitten by one. But public speaking is fun. Come on. This is a, public speaking is a good time. So those that raise their hand, you don't know what you're missing. So much fun. Why do we have fear? Well, fear is a basic human emotion. Your list won't be the same as mine, and your list won't be the same as the person across the aisle from you. And, and, and we can all identify with some things on the second list, but on that first list, First list. I didn't ask because it's, it's a lot more private. I think that if we were like, who's afraid of mice? Who's afraid of, who's afraid of flying? Who's afraid of needles? You know, we can raise our hands. But if I say, who's afraid of pain? Who's afraid of loneliness? That's, it, it, it hits a little more close to home. It's a little bit more personal, a little bit more private. And so I don't know if everyone here would be willing to say, yes, I'm afraid of failure. But you look at this list, losing your freedom, the unknown, pain, disappointment, misery, loneliness, rejection, ridicule, death, failure. Those are very real things that I would probably venture to say that every one of us has experienced something on that list of 10 things. You might not be worried about mice, but you might be battling with the fear of rejection literally right now as we sit here. And maybe you're thinking about failure. And it's crippling you. I'm not surprised that fear of failure comes at the top for so many people. How frustrating it would be to feel like you've wasted your short journey on planet Earth. It's a terrible thing to conclude that your life was, oh, it was a bust or because it didn't turn out the way you had hoped it would turn out. Somewhere in our thinking, God, though, God has to figure into the equation. There must be a reason that the Bible tells us in various ways and in various places. It says, fear not, hundreds of times throughout Scripture. Now, to me, if I'm reading, fear not, fear not, fear not, Fear not, 
fear not, hundreds of times, chances are that humans throughout all of time have obviously dealt with fear. Why else would God say, fear not, fear not, fear not, over and over and over again? Because it's a basic human emotion that many of us constantly live with in this grip of fear, worry, anxiety. Let's be honest with each other, right? We've been raising our hands. How many of you would be willing to say at this moment right now, I'm a little worried about something? Because there's something that sometimes it'll consume our minds and it causes anxiety and fear and frustration. And, and if humans, if it didn't wrestle with it, God wouldn't have dealt with it. But he says these things because throughout humanity, we, we, we deal with this human emotion. What do you do when your fears seem to be winning the day? What if you pray and God still has not come through for you? If you're like most people, you might begin to lose hope. You begin to wonder why you bothered to, play, to pray in the first place. I've, I've spoken to people like that. Deep in the soil of your heart, little seeds of doubt can take root. And they start growing up into a harvest of frustration and anger. And it happens to most of us eventually. Some of the best men and women of the Bible struggled with their inner doubts and their dreams when the dreams didn't come true, maybe especially in the timing in which they thought they would come true, and they needed to go on a journey to become a person of faith and not of fear. Father of the faithful, Abraham, he illustrates this truth. In order to get the context, we have to go back 40 centuries, okay, back to Abraham's time and to a place called Ur of the Chaldees, and it says, a large city, the Bible talks about the, the, this place, and it's a large city on the banks of the Euphrates River, and that river still exists, it flows from Iraq and empties into the Persian Gulf not far from Kuwait. Historians tell us that Ur was one of the most important cities of the ancient world. In Abraham's day, perhaps, there was over 250,000 people living in that city. There was an ancient university in Ur and a large library. Ur was known as a center for mathematics, astronomy, international commerce, maybe might even been like Chicago, New York, London, or Singapore. What else do we know about Abraham? Well, he's first called Abram, gets his name changed to Abraham. He's about 75 years old when we meet him. And in those days, that would be considered middle-aged. Some of us are like, man, why didn't I live back then? He's a prosperous businessman who's no doubt well-known to a lot of people. He and his wife, Sarah, who was first called Sarai, have no children. It's against this backdrop that, that God first speaks to Abram in Genesis 12. It says, the Lord says to him, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, from thy father's house unto a land which I will show thee and I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and I will make thy name great and thou shalt be a blessing. By the way, God, speaking of CFC, God doesn't bless you to not bless someone else. And I will bless them that bless thee, and I will, and him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So God says to Abraham, you know what? You got to get out of your father's house. But I'll tell you what, I'm asking you to do some uncomfortable stuff. But in return, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to use you to be a blessing. I'm going to bless everybody connected to you. 
That sounds pretty great. And later in chapter 13, he says, I'm going to give you descendants like as the stars or as the sea or, or as the sea or the sand of the sea. That's a lot of descendants. And 10 years quickly pass. No sign of children. Uh, God, what, what, what happened? You know, I'm 75. You promised kids. I'm 85. What's going on here? I thought, remember what you said about the descendants? Sarah now, she's past childbearing age. And even though he just, in Genesis 14, if you read it, he had just won a great military victory. He got his nephew Lot back. He, he, he was well known. He's already well known, but now there's a great military victory, but nothing can satisfy this deep desire for a son. And only those, and I know some of you here are some of these people, only those who have gone through this experience can, further, can fully empathize with Abraham and Sarah because there's no sadness quite like the sadness of wanting children for your own and not being able to have them. And even in this day of modern medicine and advanced technology, many couples wait for years and some couples wait forever. God didn't seem in a hurry to give them a son. I think this may have been the source of Abraham's greatest fear. You know, how much, how, how long should I wait? Why has he delayed? I thought I heard God clearly. Maybe I didn't hear him clearly. Has God changed his mind about me? Is there sin in my life? Was there a problem maybe I'm not aware of? Am I doing something to displease God? Why is Sarah's womb still closed? If God promised, why hasn't it been fulfilled? Maybe we should go to plan B. All those questions were running through his mind, and God knew exactly what his servant was thinking. It's not like when we think thoughts that God, there's a locked door that he can't get behind. He created our brains, our minds. He made us the way we are. So every, even though he knows our thoughts, he tells us to still ask to make our confessions known to him. But he's aware of all things. There's nothing we can hide that he doesn't see or know. So he knows what... Abraham's going through, and he speaks at this moment words of comfort to Abram. In Genesis 15, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Here's what God says, Fear not. One of the many hundreds of times in Scripture that we read this. He says, Fear not, Abram. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Now, that's tough because we can read that and be like, oh, that's awesome. But at the end of the day, even when God speaks, Abram still goes, yes, great, but I still want a son. But God has to tell him, Abram, don't live in fear. I'm a shield. I'm your shield. And I'm your great reward, exceeding great reward. There are at least four reasons why Abram could have doubted God's promise of a son. Number one, well, I'm too old. Number two, many years have passed since the promise had been given. Maybe it's changed. Three, nothing like this had ever happened before. So it looks at precedent. If God couldn't, hasn't done it before, he probably is not going to do it for me now. And four, Sarah also doubted God's promise. And so, you know, you ever live in a house where you think one thing, your spouse might think another? That can be difficult. When you think about it, there's no reason to believe. There's no reason for Abram to even cling to anything 
unless, except one thing, and that is God promised to do it. The question now for him and for all of us becomes this. Will God's promise be enough for Abraham? Situations, circumstances, deem it's impossible, not happening, been waiting for a while. And is God's word enough? To all of our fears, God speaks and says, I am your shield. Now, we might think of a, of a shield, you know, that you buy with a little Halloween costume at Walmart, and you hold up this little plastic thing with little straps, and you go like this. That's not the shield that he was talking about. See, when you study the word, a shield was something that stretched from head to toe. It protected every part of the soldier's body. Such a shield offered complete protection against the attacks of the enemy, and it went from head to toe. So when God says, I'm your shield, he's painting a picture going, from your head to your toe, I've got you covered. And so his shield, he meant two specific things. He's going to protect us in times of doubt, and he rescues, rescues us in times of danger. Note that God does not say, I will give you a shield. That would have been pretty cool, too. Hey, when you go into battle and spiritual battle and when you're fighting fear, I'm going to give you a shield and it'll be protection for you. That would be nice. Thank you, God, for that. But he does not say that. He says, I am your shield. I'm not giving you a shield. I personally, he's not sending else, someone else into your situation. He's saying, I personally am coming into your situation and it will be the covering that you need. He says that shield, see, when you, when you look at this, then when he says, God, God says, I'm your shield, which means we have a shield that's omnipotent, universal, eternal. This shield cannot be defeated. It's as strong as God himself. We could not be in a better position. Who can defeat God as our shield? The great message is certainly clear. If God is your shield, no fear. No fear never came out with that shirt. No fear. If God is your shield, no fear. Maybe no fear can make a comeback with that one. Remember this. Someone please remember this. Nothing can touch you or harm you without God's permission. There's no situation that you're facing, you have faced, you're going to be facing. We all, at some point, many of you raised your hands, I'm worried about something right now. Something is on my mind right now. Some of you did not. You might have been worried about something two months ago, two years ago. But at some point, I don't care how big and spiritual you think you are, Everyone is going to go through something that causes just a little bit of anxiety and worry, and you have to take it to the Lord. And you can say, well, no, not. I trust God. Listen, trust is built when you work through these things. 
And so there's going to be times where you'll go, I'm, I'm, I'm a little worried about that. I'm a little worried about the outcome. I'm worried about where it's going to lead and what's going to happen. And, and these things will happen. But what we need to stop, step back and say sometimes is, hang on. I got to put truth back in my mind. My flesh is speaking too strongly. And I got to disconnect and get, and that's why we need to be in the word every single day. And it's so crucial to be in the word because you know when a lot of people turn to the word? They turn to the word when the, the enemy, when the attack, when the things happen, when the anxiety sets in and the fear and the struggle, that's when people then will go, I got to turn to the word. The problem with that is it's actually very difficult at times when you're in the middle of a situation that's causing fear and anxiety and frustration and all that. Sometimes the brain wanders and you try to get into the word and your mind is all over. But when David says, these words have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. The word has to be an ever-present diet. If somebody gets checked into a hospital, maybe you're one of those few people that are fear the doctor, and they say, hey, things aren't going well in your body. Nutrition's not looking well. Well, you can try to get things going in the right direction, but it's going to take some time to turn that around. It's much better to be aware of physical health before the doctor has to say, hey, you need to be aware of physical health. And so it's the same thing spiritually. If we start going, oh boy, I got to go grab the, the word. I'm, my, everything in my life is shaken. Well, it would be better to have a steady diet of the word so that when things do start to shake, you go, hold on. I've hid these words in my heart and God said this and God said that and God spoke this. And I start to cling to that because it's already been hidden here. And so when God speaks these things, he's going, listen, you don't have, we, we have to remember, he said, fear not hundreds of times. So no matter what I'm facing, I know it's challenging and frustrating. It's causing anxiety and fear, but I can step back and go, hang on. God does not, nothing can touch my family without God's permission. Nothing can touch my life without God's permission. Guess what? That means no cancer, bankruptcy, theft, physical disability, loss of job, terrible accident, death of a child, a thousand other sorrows cannot touch. Now, am I saying you don't ever have to ever worry about those things if you serve God? I did not say that. But I said nothing can touch you without God's permission. Devil had to go to God and say, yeah, look at your servant, Job. He could not go to Job without first conversing with God about it. Right. Certainly, Job went through some stuff. Christians are not immune to sadness. What happens to others happens to us. People will always say the rain falls on the just and the unjust. It's talking about opportunities for salvation, and we've just preached that a whole bunch of different ways. It's not even, just reread it. The difference is we know God protects us from harm so that nothing can touch us that does not first pass through his hands of love. 
That knowledge doesn't mean that I will not weep and I will not suffer because I have and I will. But it's the basis for the statement in 1 Thessalonians 4.13 that says we sorrow, but not as those who have no hope. There's going to be moments of sorrow in your journey with Christ. But you have hope. Others do not. Our sorrow is different because we have hope in God. Why did God wait so long to give Abraham a son? Could he not have just given him a son nine months from when he said it? But 25 years later, there's that son. Could God not heal your body right now? Absolutely. Could God not give you that job that you've been looking for right now? He could do, he could do it right now. Abraham's 75 years old and 100 when Isaac is born. He was almost 85 when God comes to him and says, fear not. Which you would be like, okay, cool. I've waited for 10 years, but now God shows up and says, fear not. Honey, it's time. Nope. 15 more years. After, fear not. After all these years, God still wasn't ready to give him the answer that he wanted. Abraham was old, but he'd be older yet before Isaac is born. And of all the questions that plague the people of God, none is so vexing as unanswered prayer. And any preacher that stands up and says, I'll tell you right now why God doesn't answer prayer. Whatever is, comes next is just a theory. Because for me, I wish he would just answer everyone and just boom, boom, boom. And, and we just, oh, yeah, everybody line up today. Whatever you need, God's just going to answer it. Boom, 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 boom. But he doesn't. We know God has a plan for our lives. Then why does he take so long to answer the deepest Heartfelt prayers. Well, from Abraham's experience, we can see a couple things. We can see, well, it looks like he was trying to develop perseverance. You know, it'd be really easy if God just answered all our prayers the first time we prayed them. There's a lot of things I would have already had answered. But wouldn't we just take God for granted then and develop shallow faith? It'd be cool. I think we'd love the idea of just him, just like the little genie bottle. I am asking today. We get three a week, and so then, man, we'd be, we'd be packed out next Sunday because we have a little genie bottle where you just rub it and God answers everybody's prayers. But that wouldn't be people who walk by faith and not by sight. I see that when I read Abraham's story, I feel like, man, God really wanted to ensure that he would get the glory. When Paul wrote about Abraham's story, he mentioned that prominently in Romans 4. He says, being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, 
when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Whoa. We just fly past this letter to the Romans that Paul writes, and I think that the key to our walk with God might be found in this verse. He staggered not. God gave him a promise. If you're like me, if God gives me a promise, I want to walk to this altar today, and before I push those back doors open, I want the promise answered. I mean, you promised it. Let's go. I'm going to drop my knee here. By the time I hit back there, I'm going to be like, yeah, and I'll give you the glory, God. You ever do that? Oh, yes, Lord. Just answer this. I promise I'll give you the glory. Because we're trying to, like, convince him, like, you can trust me with your promises. I promise. I promise that your promise is safe with me. But what happens when he doesn't operate in the way and the time frame that you anticipate? What happens when you lay hands on your child and the child's still sick? What happens when you pray over the job, submit the resume, and they say, we've chosen someone else? What happens when you pray over your spouse and they still leave you? And you go, man, Lord, ah, I thought you promised. And so sometimes our circumstances and the path causes us to doubt the promise. Paul says, hey, I celebrate Abraham because he didn't stagger at God's promise through unbelief. Because it's always a faith issue. We want to say it's a circumstance issue, but it's always a faith issue. Because it comes down to, do you trust God or do you not? See, gathering today in this sanctuary, and we're going to do it again next Sunday, and we're going to do it again next Sunday, eventually we're going to go into a different place, a different building, we're going to gather someone else. But what it comes down to is the theme never changes. We're not just gathering in a building, in a facility to hear good music and pray, and, and wow, that was neat today, that was a good message, that was a good thought. No, it is Let's hear from God so we can continue to walk this journey in faith. And what it comes down to is when things happen in your life, do you keep trusting him or do you say enough's enough? I'm out. Abraham never, he said he staggered not at the promise, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Because when we walk strong in faith, in spite of any circumstance, God gets glory. Because I say, hey, I know he promised something. It hasn't happened like I thought. It hasn't been the timing in which I thought. But yet I will praise him. I will walk faithfully. I will walk in faith, not by sight. And so people can write about him hundreds and hundreds of years after the time going, hey, let's celebrate this guy because he didn't stagger in unbelief, but he walked by faith and God got the glory. And being fully persuaded, verse 21, that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. Yeah. 
It, he walked going, God, you said it. I know you can do this. I'm positive you can do this. I'm not going to worry and wonder. I'm going to walk by faith. Does flesh get discouraged? Does flesh wonder? Does flesh go through moments of fear and anxiety? Yes, but where fear and anxiety can be killed is at an altar and in the word. And so we got to keep going back to the word. We got to keep going back to an altar. We got to keep going, Lord, I'm not going to let circumstance, dic- circumstance dictate my journey. And not only did Abraham have to wait 25 years for an answer, but he also had to suffer the humiliation of his own failed schemes. When him and Sarah were like, yeah, sleep with the handmaiden. That sounds like a good idea. Now they got issues. That was a short-sighted attempt to help God out, and it backfired and brought sadness and heartache to everyone involved. Believe me, there's been times over the last four years in this campaign, I've tried to help God out, and I've had some good ideas, but not God ideas, and so I've had to say, wait, no, this is not it. God often delays his answers, so we'll have plenty of opportunities to fail using our own resources. Only then does God act, but when he does, he demonstrates, I alone am responsible. And so this deepens our trust in God. I think that's why Hebrews 11 gives more space to Abraham's story than any other Old Testament hero. You ever catch that? Hebrews 11, hall of faith. Abraham gets more written about him than any other Old Testament hero. He's the prominent man of faith in the Bible. When we read his story, I don't think he would be the prominent man of faith. If 75, he got a promise. In 76, they had a baby. Because faith is built on the journey. If Abraham had to wait, it should not surprise us that we are often going to have to wait. Why? Because God cares more about developing you than he does just answering your prayer. Look at the journey again of how we started four years ago. Sometimes wondering... Uh, God, where are you? I thought you said this. Uh, we'll help you along. Is the promise going to ever arrive? Maybe we missed it somewhere. But waiting is not bad if it causes us to deepen our trust in God and learn more about his character. For us, there are certain things that God has been trying to do in his church long before he ever gives us a building. And one of the key things he's trying to get us to see is we honestly rely too much on the building. We'll just get to the next building and then revival will take place. We'll get to the next facility and put up a bigger sign. If that's your thinking, we're probably going to be here a lot longer. Because... We rely too much on a building. The church was never about the building. The building's just the tool to gather, to disciple the people God's called you to disciple. But in American culture, the church has become the building where we go to be fed and be taken care of and our kids are taken care of and it becomes a buffet. And God says, I've called you to go make disciples. The place you gather is simply a tool 
to do what I've called you to do. And God's been speaking to us these same things, you know, that speaking to us who have come and gone thousands, just like those who have gone thousands of years before us. God's answer to fear is not an argument or a formula. It's a person. At least that's what he said to Abraham in 15.1. He says, fear not, Abram. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. When you reach moments of your life where you're going, where are you? Why isn't this being answered? I don't understand this part of the journey. I thought you spoke. Am I doing something wrong? And you start to fear God. Well, why is this all in vain? Don't let your faith be shaken in the journey. If he promised something, he's saying, don't worry about it. I, I'm not giving you a shield. I am your shield. That's what David said in the 34th Psalm. Listen to these words. I don't normally read a whole part of a psalm, but listen to this. This is such beautiful, powerful words. Psalm 34, verse 4, it's, or the, the fourth verse, it says, I prayed to the Lord, and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. To be freed from something tells me that that was not necessarily God's will. God doesn't free me from, he didn't say, I freed you from water baptism. I freed you from my anointing. When you're freed from something, it's something that had you bound, that you were being held captive to. And so God needs to step in and free. So he says, hey, I was praying, and God freed me from my fears because God's will for your life is not living in anxiety and fear. It might be normal. We're all raising our hands and we're open with it. But in all our openness as human beings, which I appreciate our transparency, just because the majority of us raise our hands does not mean that now that's okay. That means we all need Jesus. We all need this message because he's saying, I want to free you from living in fear and anxiety. That's not my will for your life. And so he says, I took it to God. He freed me from all my fears. Verse 5, those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their face. You ever talk to someone who just radiates joy? Typically, the person who is radiating joy is not radiating joy and then going, dear God, I don't know where tomorrow's going to bring. Lord, I don't even know if I'm going to have a job in the morning. My kids are unhealthy. The church, we don't even know where we're going. My God, help us. We're not, that's, that's not a person that's radiating joy. In my desperation, I prayed. Thank God that he's willing to admit there's sometimes we get desperate. In my desperation, I prayed, and the Lord listened. He saved me from all my troubles. For the angel of the Lord is a guard, and he surrounds and defends all who fear him. When we turn our fear from things beyond our control and instead begin to fear the Lord, different meaning there. Fear means a reverence, a respect, a holy awe. He then will surround and defend us. Wow, that sounds, as David's writing this, I'm going, hang on, that's 
sounds so much like the shield that Abraham, he's promised Abraham. He said, Abraham, he said, listen, I'm going to be your shield. I'm going to surround you head to toe. Ain't nothing going to touch you. And then you see, you got the psalmist writing going, you know what? I took in desperation. I cried out to God and, and the angel of the Lord, just someone got to guard you. I'm going to defend you. Verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. For we fear the Lord. Don't fear. He says fear not about other things, but fear the Lord. You, his godly people, for those who fear him will have all they need. Even strong young lions sometimes go hungry, but those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. Listen to the promises. You, you just might want to write down in your Bible or put it in your notes app right now. Read Psalm 34 when I'm stressed out. He says, does anyone want to live a life that is long and prosperous? Then keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. If you're going to live a prosperous life, a lot of it is in the way you speak. He says, turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. Don't be somebody that's always causing drama. It's not good for you, the church, or anyone else in the world. God's saying, work for peace. And he says, the eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. His ears are open to their cries for help. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. He will erase their memory from the earth. The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He's, he rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Are you brokenhearted today? You might be closer to God right now than any other moment of your life. I don't want to live brokenhearted. You know, sometimes that broken heart is what causes you to just go, God, I got to just get right up close to you. Because your word says you're close to the brokenhearted. And he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. If your spirit is crushed and your heart is broken, it's not the time to leave the church, quit the ministry, go somewhere else, walk away from God. This is the stop in the journey where God says, shh, be still and know I am God. Fear not. I am your shield. Just come close. You're brokenhearted. Your spirit's crushed. But now's the time. I'm going to just pull you in right next to me. And this is just going to be one phase of the journey. One that your flesh wants to skip over. But I see down the path and your spirit and your soul need this development. Because I'm about to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless them that bless you. I'm going to curse them that curse you. And all you, and you all nations of the earth will be blessed. There's going to be a lot given to you and to your lineage. A nation's going to be born, a promise. But before that happens, 
there's going to be a, a period of time where I'm going to build faith in you. I'm going to build faith in your journey. But faith is only built in our response. Because at that moment, we can say, forget this. I pray all the time. He's answering our prayers, and I get stuck with this, and I'm bitter, and I'm leaving, and I'm quitting ministry and not doing this. And, and then my mouth starts to speak bitter things. And God's has to go, oh, what I could have done with that vessel. I never want God to look at me and to say, oh, what I could have done with that vessel. I want God to be able to go, oh, no. Have you considered my servant, Gary? Man, that's scary because I certainly don't want what Job got. But I want God to have that level of confidence in me. We can't have a walk with him where we fall off track when the internet doesn't work. Or when I went to get cherry coke and they were out. God, you always, I, I serve you and you just can't even bless me with a cherry Coke. I'm like, that's the depth of some Christian's relationship with God. I'm about to wrap this message up and I think right now, this is what I'm feeling for this season is we're at a, we're at a very volatile point where as believers... We're either going to embrace the journey and the mission or we're going to become more self-centered than ever before. Like my stuff and don't touch my stuff and my schedule, my family. Like, I don't want to adjust my life for my job and promotions and kids' games and but the things of God, I'm not, I, I don't know. We're just at a really crucial point as a church where we're either going to feed the flesh or the spirit. And we're either going to be a really cool gathering place or we're going to experience supernatural moves of God. And what it's going to come down to is whether or not we're willing to take the journey and go, God, you spoke it, so I want it. Or we're willing to go, I'll go this far, but not that far. Because if I go past that, it inconveniences me. I'm telling you, we're at a, I can't stress this, we're at a crucial moment as a church where we're going to step into the dimension of the supernatural, but we cannot do that while walking in the flesh. And so part of the reason you have gone on this journey, part of the reason things have been tough and challenging, the prayers have been answered, all these things, is because he's going, oh, I know you can't see what I can see. But in order to get you ready for that, 
Your faith is not yet where it needs to be. And the only way faith is built is through resistance. And in that brokenhearted and and that crushed spirit, if you will just come and get right up next to me, humanity pushes away and says, see, he didn't answer the prayer. See, it's no good. See, ministry, I don't even know why I try and do what I do. It's not even worth it. That's what humanity wants to say. But when you feel your flesh doing that, remind yourself you don't walk after the flesh. I'm almost angry right now. And I'm not angry at you, but I'm angry at the spirit. I'm angry at the fact that right now, the enemy's trying to get us to where the flesh rules and reigns. And the flesh is what dictates where we go and what we do and when we do it. Right now, God is going, I have a plan and I have promised you things. Are you going to live in fear and anxiety and about your situation and your circumstance? Or are you going to trust me? Are you going to follow the flesh or are you going to follow the spirit? Because the spirit says you promised it. I've been waiting on this promise for five years, 10 years, 15 years, 25 years. I'm going to keep walking. God, you're good. God, you're worthy. Or our flesh is going to go, yeah, see, I don't even know why. It's not worth the drive. Midweek service this and ministry this. And you know what? Honestly, I don't even sense any difference when I go. It's not just about you. It's about the spirit. It's about God going, I'm developing something in you. And and when things get difficult and the circumstances are challenging and the prayers aren't being answered, the the flesh wants to say, forget faith. I want to figure it out. But what, but the spirit says, no, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to get up close to you, Lord. And I want to say, God, right now, I do not understand what you're doing. I don't even know honestly where you're at. And so, you know what? I'm not going to go based on how I feel. I'm going to go based on what I know and what you have told me in your word is that you will not leave me comfortless. You will come to me. You have told me in your word you will not give me more than I can handle. You have told me in your word that you are with me always, even to the end of the world. You have told me in your word you will not leave me comfortless, but you will come to me. And so I am not, I refuse to walk after the flesh because the flesh is a stinking liar. But right now, if I'm feeding the flesh, that's what's strongest. But I refuse to feed the flesh. I'm going to open up the word. I'm going to get to an altar and I'm going to lay my face down at that altar and say, God, certainly I've been disappointed at times. I have prayed for things that have not been answered, but Lord, I come to this altar right now with my knees bowed, my head on the altar, my hands raised up saying, God, I trust you once again. God, I verbalize once again. I will not walk after the flesh. I will not walk after the flesh. I pursue your spirit, God. And if that's you, I'm just inviting you. I feel like God is calling us right now as a church. And if you don't want to respond, that's fine. God bless you. We'll see you hopefully on Wednesday or Wednesday's canceled. We'll see you Sunday. But I want, to, I want somebody here that is going, God, I don't want to just be the status quo. I don't want to just keep existing and gathering on Wednesdays at 7 and Sundays at 2. God, I want something from you, Lord. I want to walk in your way. I want to walk in your will. I want to walk after the spirit and not the flesh. 
right now the flesh is trying to say you live in fear you live in anxiety you don't know the the, the, the tomorrow's unknown you're not certain where it goes if you really trust that god that's not going to answer your prayer he's strong enough to answer but he chooses not to is that the god you're going to serve is that the ministry you're willing to to give yourself to this is where you go absolutely shut up flesh i ain't listening to you i walk after the spirit and god promised these things and he's with me and he won't forsake me and so i choose faith god develops some stuff in us lord i believe like i said we're at a crucial a pivotal a pivotal point in refuge church where we're either going to walk after the flesh or we're going to walk after the spirit god lord and the flesh has gotten really strong god we lay this flesh on the altar today we lay this flesh on the altar today god help us i pray we don't want to walk after the flesh we want to walk after the spirit we want to be and do what you have called us to be and do god help us to walk in faith god the flesh is so strong help us right now to lay it on the altar you silence 